How familiar does this culture conversation sound, Work Positive Nation? The C-suite says, you just can't find good people anymore. And the people who consider themselves good say, I just want a manager who knows how to lead. Okay, maybe this is just not a conversation in your company, but maybe it's a fringe, right? <laughs> the reality is it takes every one of us working together to create a positive work culture. And yet someone has to start the transformation, right? Clarify the way forward. And that's leadership's responsibility. My guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast is an Apple News Top 10 coach and author of Top Down Culture, Revolutionizing Leadership to Drive Results. She's here to tell us how leaders best take responsibility for culture and its transformation. So get your leader to listen to this one with you, or if you're a leader, turn it up and let's work positive together. Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Work Positive Nation, help me welcome to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast, Lindsay Dowd. Lindsay, welcome to the Work Positive Podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, Dr. Joey. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, me too. Me too. I've enjoyed exchanging messages with you on LinkedIn. We decided today's going to be epic, right? No question. I think we're (laughs) cut from the same cloth, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's it. Uh, Well, you were the side of the cloth that got all the hair. Just in case you're (laughs) not watching this on YouTube. (laughs) She got all the hair, and it's beautiful, and I wish I had some. Would you save me some next haircut you get? Yeah, I'm happy to share. No problem. Uh, Gorilla glue in your hair, and I'm going to look amazing. Thank you so much for being on this episode. So in the in the introduction, I I noted this, shall we say, ongoing conversation <laughs> that happens in so many companies between leadership complaining about trying to attract top talent, as we like to say around work positive nation, and the good people that allegedly can't be found that work there saying, hey, I'm just looking for somebody to lead. Yeah. It seems like to me, Lindsay, that in creating a positive work culture, we need all hands on deck. So true. We need leadership to lead and we need the good people to participate and collaborate. Your book, which, by the way, is amazing, Top Down Culture, really emphasizes the need for leadership to take a more active role. Where did uh, where did this whole notion of top down culture come from for you? So I, I kind of grew up in IBM. I think, uh, you know, my family put in 105 years there. So even as a little wow. person, I used to go into 590 Madison and see my dad and, you know, anyway, a lot of years at this company. Mm. And so I got a lot of examples of leaders and mm. both from when I was an employee and watching um, certainly my, my dad and then my husband and his father and others. Um, but the examples of leaders really varied and the ones that jumped up and down on the tables and yelled and embarrassed people and belittled people Mm. were very polarizing and certainly not attractive to me. But what they missed was they're modeling that behavior and they're making it appear acceptable. And 
that creates an enormously toxic culture. And so when I was writing the book, we were really kind of focusing on, you know, how do you get everybody to buy into the culture because it does belong to everyone. You know, the person that's sitting over by the water cooler, you know, fetching with their friends saying like, oh my God, this leader is so bad. And, you know, they're, they're not helping. They're, right. they're not a part of right. the solution. They're not making it better. Mm-hmm. And the leader that's doing all of the aggressive, embarrassing, belittle, be, belittling behavior is equally guilty, probably more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, I love to say culture belongs to everyone, um, but it starts at the top and you've got to model it at the top. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of modeling, that's what most of us do. We follow the model that we grew up in for leadership. Um, on our website at workpositive.today, I talk about this very thing. I call that toxic culture, Kevin culture. Yes. Because there's there's that. a Kevin out there that we've all experienced, right? Yes. And Lindsay, as, as much as I hate to say this, I was a Kevin for a time. And and Joe, I love when people say this because it shows you're capable of change. And when I see (laughs) leaders have an evolution and they can say to me, you would have hated me. You (laughs) never wanted to work with me now. Like I'm so much better. Uh, And that's the thing. People are born this way. You you mm. learn by seeing. You can't be what you can't see. And so when you have a good role model, you learn good leadership. And that's how I learned a lot of it. Yes. But there's that moment of self-awareness at which reality hits your current methodology. And then our three and a half year old granddaughter is fond of trying something new. And then she looks up at me and she says, pops, it's not working properly. (laughs) So, you know, I think there's that moment of self-awareness for those of us who've made this transformation, as I like to say, from me to we, because mm. most of the time that Kevin culture is very egocentric and insecure oh. and narcissistic, et cetera, et cetera. But when I become aware of that, then I'm able to transition and tra- really transform to a we type culture. I, I like to call it the we economy. Then that happens. So how how do I as a leader begin to take even some baby steps, Lindsay, yeah. towards that self-awareness so that I can transform my leadership style? So I have one question that I encourage leaders to ask, and this is a question I asked my team. Super humbling, hard to do, Mm. but the information you're going to get is going to help you through so many other things. So the question is, how do I be the best leader for you? And when you ask that of your people, first of all, you're establishing a different dialogue than likely you have before, but you're going to get different answers from everyone you ask. And that's based on age, tenure, experience, career aspirations, goals, whatever. Some people are going to say, you know, just get the hell out of my way. I just need you to remove obstacles. Some people are going to say, I think I need a coach. I don't think I'm doing this right. You know, Mm -hmm. can you help me with this? Some people are just going to be like, I don't understand my job and (laughs) they need Mm -hmm. training. But whatever it is, you're getting a peek into what they need and you're in a position to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. And when you start that dialogue, you're establishing trust And trust is your currency. So if you can build trust, you'll have a much more honest dialogue. And all of a sudden, you can create some psychological safety. And with psychological safety, 
That's where the innovation happens, the collaboration, the connection, the fun. Let's not underestimate the fun. But all of those things come out of people feeling safe enough to raise their hand, stick their neck out, try something new, build a new best practice. Those are all the magical moments that come out of that one question. And the best part about that one question, if you can get all of your leaders to do it, you can tap any leader on the shoulder at any point in time and say, what's going on on your team? And you'll be able to say, well, I've got one flight risk. I've got two people that need more training. I've got one person that needs to be promoted. I've got two people that are underpaid. And Hmm. when you can articulate that, you've got a happiness gauge. You understand the health of your organization different than a survey, because hopefully if your leaders are the right people, you are having the right dialogue. And if you are a really unaware leader, that question is going to be very hard for you to, to listen <laughs> to the answers, but it's really important that they do. It is. I love the way you said that. If you're a really unaware leader, um, man, we, we buy the lie or we tell ourselves a lie. Hey, I know what's going on around here. I know how I show oh up God. to these people every day. So one thing that may uh, be a barrier for me in asking that question is, you just said, I'm going to get all kinds of responses. This person's going to want to coach. This person's going to need training. This person, you know, boy, the diversity is real. And yeah. I see regularly, and I'm sure you do, four gens at, at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Marisa Andrada says she worked with a company had five. I can't imagine <laughs> that. that. That's just <laughs> blows my mind. And so the generational distinctions are yeah. really there. How do I stare that down, that obstacle that would keep me from asking that question, Lindsay? So, I I mean, the only the only obstacle is you. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you being brave enough to ask the question. And let me tell you, when I first asked the question, it almost feels like you are saying, I don't know something. I don't have skills and you it's very vulnerable, but we can talk about vulnerability on its whole own hour. Yeah, we (laughs) really can. Mm. What people need to understand about vulnerability is when you can make yourself vulnerable and a great example I love to give if if you've been an ogre of a leader for you know the bulk of your career, um, making that leap to all of a sudden be vulnerable seems like really impossible. Um, but if you can tell a story of sometime you didn't know something and you bungled it and you said the yeah. wrong thing, you did the wrong thing but you learn from it, or I was so bad at that when I first started, but look Uh, at me now. First of all, you're making yourself relatable. You're not diminishing your expertise. You're demonstrating your growth. And so when you can make yourself relatable that way, no matter what age you are, you're showing that you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And the the truth is, nobody does. <laughs> so anybody that knows everything about a specific job, they're deeply overqualified. Yeah. Um, but you, you want people to understand that you weren't born this way. You learned, you grew. Uh-huh. And that's what helps you be relatable to every generation. Yeah, particularly younger generations, because they look up, I guess you could say, just from a chronological perspective and think, sure. okay, he, he, she's got it together. He's got it together. They, but they don't put us back 
in no, their place. No, can't imagine and, us and, being, you know, right. dunderheads. But I mean, yeah. I tell this story all the time of it was one of my first jobs at Lotus before Lotus was acquired by IBM. And I was sure. super enthusiastic, like way too much. I, oh, my God, it was painful <laughs> now that I can see it. But I would run into my manager's office and I would be like, and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is broken and this is busted. And she'd sit there listening, patient, nodding her head. And she finally said, Lindsay, you're very astute. You've noticed so many things that are wrong with our current systems and way of doing things, but you haven't brought me any solutions. Mm. And I was mortified. I'm like, (laughs) oh, my God, I'm the girl who bitches. This is so horrible. This is so embarrassing. But I tell this story to all of my teams because... They're like, she wants solutions. Mm. And I don't want to be the guy who bitches or the girl who bitches. I want to be the one that brings the ideas. Mm. And I didn't make myself sound dumb. I made myself sound like I'm pretty aware of how that sounded before. And I know better now. Mm. Um, So that's, I think, what helps people be relatable. Yeah. Joshua Friedman, my recent guest and now my friend, I, by the way, you noticed I make friends with all my guests. So. I know. I love it. <laughs> They're all my new best friends. You can't um, get rid of me now. <laughs> that's right. He he has the EQ network, the emotional intelligence network on LinkedIn with over 200 mm. some odd thousand people. I'm a member. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's probably how we, we met, right? Is is right there. Um, wow. The the vulnerability. And what I've just dis- is so important. And what I've discovered, Lindsay, is that when I ask you for help, particularly if I'm in a place of leadership, when I ask you for help or just ask you, what do you think? Then it really breaks the relational ice in a different direction and facilitates collaboration in ways that we have had opportunities to do, but maybe haven't quite achieved. So when I am seeking to attract top talent Mm -hmm. onto my team, how do I bring that vulnerability, that transparency and authenticity into those early conversations so that I'm representing our culture well? Mm, Well, I think, you know, first of all, the days of you being cross-examined by a company, those are gone. So now it's definitely a two-way interview conversation Mm -hmm. and any prospective um, employee should be interviewing the hiring manager as much, if not more so, because you need to make sure the culture is a good fit for you mm-hmm. um, than you're being interviewed. So, you know, questions that I love to coach people to ask are like, talk to me about your management style. What do you do when we're not hitting our number? Or what do you do when somebody's really screwed up? How do you embrace failure? What would people say about the culture of this company? Do you have business resource groups and how are they supported? You know, all of these questions are questions that help you fill in the blanks of what is it going to be like to work there? And if you are a leader that can't answer those questions, eek, (laughs) you better better stop and say, okay, wait, where am I working? Because all of those important things that have become so much a part of the fabric of the good companies, the people that people really love to work for. Mm. I think everybody craves that. Everybody wants that ability to connect with people, to feel a sense of belonging, to feel like this isn't just a job. This is a place that I want to invest in. Mm. And listen, 
there's no company loyalty anymore. There's no job security. You've Mm -hmm. got to create that for yourself. But if you're going to take a leap and if you're going to go somewhere new and hard, I mean, you know my story. I went to someplace new and hard. It didn't work out so well. Mm. And I didn't ask a lot of those questions, which I wish I did. But here's me being vulnerable, saying I screwed that up. But am I less because of it? No, I help other people avoid that same plight. Um, Mm. But really having that awareness of what does your culture look like, feel like, how do you talk about it? I think it's really important. Yeah. And and you're really creating that expectation from the beginning to say, here's how we want you to play when you come to work here. This is this is the way we roll. And so if that suits your culture needs, that's great. You can belong. I like to talk about becoming, you know, on on the way to connecting my daily task with the company mission. There's opportunities for development along the way. What are those? Here's how we roll. And so (laughs) you can't date hard and drop them after you, they say I do, <laughs> after you say we do, right? You have to continue the conversation. So I think the way that you start that conversation is so very important. Lindsay well, Dowd is my guest on this episode you. of the Work Positive Podcast, Work Positive Nation. Hey, while you're listening, go over to heartbeatforhire.com, heartbeatforhire.com, and just keep listening to the conversation and uh, check out heartbeatforhire.com. If you're on the Peloton or walking the dog or something, it's in the show notes. So be sure to check them out there. What are we going to find when we go over to Heartbeat for Hire, Lindsay? So um, I just wrote my first book called Top Down Culture, which we hit on before. And that is what we were talking about earlier, how you bridge that ogre style leadership or that really aggressive, you know, style to this modern leadership. And Mm -hmm. it's really detailing what power skills are. So um, some people call it, you know, soft skills. I call it power skills. I'd like to retire that that soft skills phrase. So I talked (laughs) a lot about a lot about that. Um, I run a couple of workshops. One is the sell me your story workshop, and that's teaching people how to talk about themselves because I've learned that not everybody can do that. And if you want to find yourself on a podcast or featured in an article or collaborating with someone or selling your, your business to someone, you have to be able to articulately tell your story and people don't know how to do it. Um, I also teach a LinkedIn course. I do a lot of coaching for executives and leadership teams, and I'm a speaker. So all of those things are there. At heartbeatforhire.com. So be sure and get yourself over there. By the way, there's a link to the book, Top Down Culture, in the show notes as well. So that makes it easy for you to, to go and get that. So let's say I've, I've talked about our culture in such a way and we've uh, with our uh, as we are attracting top talent. And we've decided it's going to be a good fit for both of us, for mm-hmm. both the company and me as a leader, as well as the individual. Mm-hmm. So then we start working together. If your back door is 10x your front door, <laughs> you're just churning and burning, right? And I mean, you're, you're wasting money. Billions of dollars are wasted in the U.S. every year. As Sherm says, 57%. That's right. That's what they discovered. Yeah. 57% of people leave jobs because of a... Bad boss, whatever that looks like, sounds like, smells like. Uh, I think we know that Kevin is a part of all all of that. Yes. How do I, as a leader, seek to make that backdoor a mouse hole so that people want to stay, so that they not only want to stay, they want to grow while they're there, 
and they want their friends who are top talent and their family, maybe some family members who are top talent to come to work for us. Yeah. You know, I, I got to experience this as a leader and I was really um, fortunate to have had great examples um, along my career. And um, by creating this environment that is you know, full of trust, full of psychological safety. Um, I'll tell you a cool story. Uh-huh. I had a bunch of teams that came to my my reporting world, and it was really the island of misfit toys. They didn't care about each other, nothing related to each other. They're like, I sell my stuff, stay in your own lane. I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to know you. And uh-huh. I was like, that's not going to work. Uh-huh. I want my team to be interested in each other. I want them to be able to collaborate and understand how it all fits together because we're one brand. Mm-hmm. And so they were a little resistant. They're like, I'm not going to sell that. A little that resistant. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I said to the team, I'm like, we're going to build a storytelling program. And so I am going to pick a few of the folks on the team and you're going to have an opportunity to tell a story about what you sell as if you're talking to my retired school teacher mother. And so you cannot get technical. You've got to do it in a human way. Mm. And so this at first started as an internal challenge. And so this was just an all hands team call. And so I would say, okay, so, you know, Lori, you're up today. Tell us what your software does. And so she, she did it. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at the zoom and I'm seeing, oh, that's what, that's what I've been hearing about all these years. Yeah. So all of a sudden they're connecting it. And then said, okay, so now we're doing a really good job. You guys are starting to understand how we relate to each other, which is making it easier for us to talk to our clients. It's easy because if they're already this customer, you know you have an entree in because you know how yours relates. So then we blew it up externally to our business partners and our clients. And Mm. all of a sudden, we're having 500 people attend these calls. Mm. And this was this moment for my team to shine. So if you got to go on and give the presentation and tell the story, this created friendly competition. This created, (laughs) you know, that was awesome. Good job. Like, how'd you know how to say that? And all of a sudden, everybody's like, it's percolating. It's exciting. Mm. And I'm getting the calls. How do I be on your team? When are you hiring? I want to be a part of that. And all the people on the other sides of me, different brands are like, what are you doing over there, Dowd? You guys are having fun. You have all these rock stars on your team. They have the same talent. They just weren't recognizing them the same way. They weren't giving them the platform to be seen. And when you do that and you leverage recognition and you share the spotlight, you're a generous leader. But all of a sudden, people were sticking their neck out. They wanted to try new things. And I invited new ideas. I said all the time, I'm not the smartest one in the room. You guys have way more ideas and experience with your stuff than I do. So what's what's another way of looking at this? How can we do it better? Mm. And they really were bold enough and safe enough to be able to share and contribute. It was really cool. And the more you shared, the more trust grew and the more you trusted each other. The more and we that- crushed our numbers. We yes. crushed it because yes. we made it so easy to understand. Um, and I had so many business partners call me and they said, I had no idea what that did. And now it's a cornerstone of my strategy. Oh, wow. Like, wow. And wow. the cool thing is Great. it's a duplicable skill, right? I mean, yeah. You can do that. The hard part is making that transition, that transformation from me to we. Yeah. And I mean, it, it well, it, and, you know, to your point, uh-huh. when you're a new leader, uh-huh. you're coming into someone else's house. 
And the biggest mistake that I see leaders make is like new sheriff in town. This is how I run it. This is what I do. Everybody get on board. Well, the right thing to do is to say, you know, have a few conversations. What's working? What's not working? Mm. Tell me about the politics. Tell me the things that have not worked in the past. What did you love about your last leader? What did you hate about your last leader? Mm -hmm. And then you're not walking into such a, you know, stark environment where you have no allies. And you're not saying you can fix everything, but Mm. you're just, you want to do some intel. And that really changes the game. And I was that person that anytime I had a new leader, I was the first person to welcome them. What can I do to help? Do you, can I give you the political landscape? You know, just there's some stuff that's really great here and there's some stuff that needs work. And they were like, oh, my God, thank you so much. You made me feel welcome. <laughs> and you know what? Those leaders, they're still getting Christmas cards from me. I'm getting Christmas cards from them. We're still friends to this day. And it's amazing, it's amazing what that can do. Truly, truly amazing. Um, the message that it sends when you come into put your stamp on the the whole thing right off the get-go is what did y'all do before I got here? You're dumb. You know, how stupid could you be? How did you get along without me? And again, that's a narcissistic insecurity driven kind of approach to leadership, which to your point in the tale of your book, that top down culture begins with those leaders who are emotionally intelligent and secure enough in who they are unique out of almost 8 billion people, right? To Mm -hmm. say, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I don't have to know everything, but together we can all do a whole lot more. So in creating the psychological safety and the trust, Lindsay, we understand that that takes a secure ego and some things like that. What are some other challenges that you see out there for leaders in creating a top-down culture that is so wildly successful, such as one you led? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing that I see, the biggest mistake that I see in sales especially is, and this is true for outside of sales, is when you have a top performer that's doing exceptionally well and the company wants to magnify that success and they say, um, okay, we're going to make them a leader. Well, if that person (laughs) got really successful on the backs of other people and they really don't care about anybody besides themselves, they are not the right person for that job. And so often I watched and I worked for a lot of these leaders who were excellent individual contributors, Mm. horrible, horrible leaders, and they manage up really well. So the two lines above them, might not ever know they are the problem. Mm. And what ends up happening is total disengagement, total like, you know, people want out, they want to move to different organizations, they or leave the company entirely. And, you know, we said you quit, you quit bad managers, you don't quit Mm -hmm. companies. Um, So I, I really do think Um, asking why someone wants to go into leadership is really important. And the other thing that leaders need to remember is you are responsible to your people. So when you are starting that dialogue of how can I be the best leader for you and you're taking the time to get to know them, you're asking them, who's your partner? Do you have any pets? Do you have any kids? What's your hobbies? What do you like to do? And write it down for Pete's sake. There's nothing worse than getting on the call the next time and calling their partner the wrong name. You look like yeah, a total jerk. But, um, you know, when you take that time to get to know them, you're creating some permanence. You're creating some loyalty. You're creating that 
um, really rich moment of exchange and, you know, trust and psychological safety. And if you steamroll through and you demand and you expect and you'll they'll get the job done, but it's just a job. Mm. So it's the difference between a job and a career or a job and someone really giving you their all. Mm, yeah. And really is that difference between as Sean Aker talks about the happiness advantage job mm-hmm. career calling. Right. Mm-hmm. And so often we use that singular metric of success in their mm-hmm. current position, right? They knock the top out and we assume that the people skills will follow. How can we, and, you know, a, one good stat, Dr. Sure. Joey, that I don't know if you know this, but people are six times more productive when they're happy. Hmm. Yeah, we had Greg Kettner on a previous episode, and he's the work happy guy. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I love and, that episode. Oh yeah, yeah, he he really does an amazing job with that. So yeah, and um, I'm not so sure, but that happiness has been sacrificed on the anvil of other metrics, um, mm-hmm. such as who has the best sales. So how yeah. do I, as a leader in a company that I'm seeking to create this top down culture? And I recognize that there's a difference between a singular metric for whatever, however we measure performance in their current position, and then that the management or people leadership skills, talent development skills are totally different. How do I begin to assess if that person has an aptitude for it and can be developed into that people? Oh, well, I actually, I love this. And when you're getting to know your your people, I had a, a woman working for me and um I was the new sheriff in town and mm-hmm. she was a little, little suspect, not sure. She was like ready to buy into who I was. She needed yeah. to feel me out for a bit. Uh-huh. And after a couple of weeks, she was just like, Oh no, I think I really like what she stands for. And so she started raising her hand and she would say, Hey, Lens, I, oh, I would really like to mentor um, some of the people on the team that are newer. Would you be okay mm-hmm. with that? I'm like, Emma, that's, that's fantastic. Go for it. And just, come back to me, tell me what you find. Uh-huh. And so she would say, okay, this is what I heard. How do you think I should handle this? How? And I'm like, uh-huh. okay, this is great. After a few weeks of this, I asked her, I said, Emma, has anyone ever asked you if you want to be a manager? Lindsay, I would love to be a manager and no one's ever asked me. Oh. And I said, well, I can't believe no one has scooped you up yet because you have all the qualities of a great leader. And she was a phenomenal seller. So you had a oh, like wow. a double combo. Um, yep. So I said, at my first opportunity, I'll be promoting you. And I did. Mm-hmm. And she was the most coachable, the most um, empathetic and, you know, really wise leaders I, I had. And it was a total joy developing her. But it was out of getting to know her that I understood what she mm-hmm. needed. I understood, you know, yeah. if, if it was training, if it was coaching, if and because we had this safe relationship, she was like, girl, I don't know how you did this. Tell me because I think I've got it all wrong. And I was never afraid to share. It was just like, oh, I, and it was nothing special. I just did it this way. She's yep. like, well, now I'm going to do it that way. That makes so much sense. <laughs> we had fun together. And I watched her grow. And I was so proud of what she learned. And I shouted from the rooftops how proud I was of her, which made all my other leaders be like, What's Emma doing? Oh, we're just having lots of conversations around what we've got wrong. And well, I'm screwing this up. How do I fix it? So <laughs> all of a sudden, it's, it all comes out of that having a safe space to to be vulnerable and to say, I don't know how to do something. 
So Which out of the relationship. Scary thing for people to say. Yeah, out of the relationship that you began forming with Emma, you were looking for some metrics there. How yes. coachable is Emma? Yes. How passionate is she about people, you know, caring for someone besides herself? Yeah. Those but kinds. with her eye on the metrics the entire time. We yeah, used exactly. quota attainment. We used, you know, yeah. how are you performing against your numbers? We, we had someone on the team and she had two months of putting up zeros. And I'm like, oh, my God, no one's even taught her how to lie yet. This is bad. She really doesn't understand her job. Yeah. And we asked her, we said, you know, PJ, do you understand your job? And she goes, no, I came here from marketing. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I was just <laughs> thrown over here. And we're like, oh, OK, OK. Yeah, so we said. Down and we said to her, you know, this is your job. These are the kinds of things you can say. These are the things that you probably shouldn't say. And listen, if you fail, we've got your back. And she's like, you do? Within six months, she was one of my top performers. Wow. Wow. So rather than a myopia on just soft skills or just hard skills, there's that unique combination, a stew, if you will, of being able to keep the task and the goals there and the people who are doing those tasks, both in mind. That's that's wonderful. Lindsay Dowd is my guest. Heartforhire.com is the website. Top Down Culture is the book. So be sure and go get yourself a copy right now. You'll be glad you did. You'll thank us later because your leadership style will transform to create a positive work culture. Lindsay, thank you so much for our time today. But before I let you go, Work Positive Nation always wants to know from my guest one thing. Mm. So, Lindsay Dowd, what's your one thing that Work Positive Nation can start doing today to create that positive work culture we're talking about? Well, I'm going to say we're going to retire a phrase that people like to use, and that is called soft skills. We are going to hereby now call them power skills. These are leadership tenets. They are modern markers of what leaders are. And this is vulnerability, authenticity. It's it's all of these important things that people have in the past really diminished. But what it allows you to do is build trust, create the psychological safety that your team is craving. And the bottom line for all of it is results. That's why we do it. And the results come in so many forms, whether it's quota attainment or career development or retain, retaining your managers after they've been trained, you know, your employee surveys, all of that trends positively when you put in the work and you put in the time on these power skills. But that is no longer a nice to have. It is a must have. So gone are soft skills, power skills are here to stay. Boom. <laughs> Work Positive Nation, go right now to heartbeatforhire.com and go wherever your finer books are sold and get your copy of Top Down Culture. Lindsay Dowd, thank you so much for the gift of your time, wisdom. I've learned a lot today. I know Work Positive Nation has as well. Thank you for being you and sharing so generously with us. Joey, it was my absolute pleasure and honor to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends who are HR and small business leaders so they can do one thing today to create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. I'd like to give you a free work positive course just for listening. It's called Something to Talk About, and it's transformed the work conversations of so many people all over the world. Get your free copy when you go to workpositive.today slash something to talk about, and you can start transforming your conversations today. Remember, it pays to work positive.